Welcome to Neighbor Up Spotlight. I'm Carol Malone, your host. Thank you for joining us today. Neighbor Up Spotlight is sponsored by Neighborhood Connections in the City of Cleveland, Cable Television Equity in the Arts Forum. Neighbor Up Spotlight showcases citizens making positive contributions to their neighborhoods. My guest today is Ms. Maisha Crow, Executive Director of the Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance. Born and raised in Cleveland, life was not always easy. Her family moved more than 20 times, and she transferred between schools about 15 times. However, these challenges fortified her determination. She went on to graduate from John Marshall High School. From there, she went on to receive her bachelor and master's degrees from Cleveland State University in social work, becoming the first in her family to graduate from college and graduate school. Violence interrupter, advocate, activist, therapist, mentor, and community outreach specialist for families impacted by violence. Her lived experiences, compassion, and heartfelt concern for the community have fueled her determination to reduce youth and gang violence. Ms. Crow has been recognized for her outstanding contributions to her community. Currently, she resides in the historic community of Cleveland Heights with her daughters and is a member of the Neighbor Up Network. So welcome to Neighbor Up Spotlight. Thank you for visiting with us today. I'm honored to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the platform. Oh, listen, it's my pleasure. So now, who or one experience inspired you to become a clinical social worker? I think my inspiration was found um, as a young girl. Um, as I mentioned, my mother had me at age 16. So yeah. being able to like nav navigate parenthood, um, we really relied on Cuyahoga County social workers, yes. um, and I just found hope in their ability to assist young mothers, um, young women who look like my mother in the city of Cleveland. And as a young kid, I said that I wanted to be that hope for the next person who relied on a system that helped navigate um, some of the challenges that they may face. Absolutely, because it, it really, people who are, who are compassionate and helpful, that, that really makes the difference. Now, Absolutely. how did your experiences growing up influence your career path? Um, oftentimes, oftentimes we try to find, you know, influences around us. You know, in Cleveland, this great city, there's so much. There's so much that you can take from every part of your life. Yes. I think what has encouraged me the most is that we are a city of hope. Yes. And in any profession that I chose, I always wanted to give hope. And um, with Cleveland, that's one thing that we are. We're very hopeful, especially if you're a Brown fan. You know, the hope runs <laughs> really deep. True. So right. um, I, I wanted to I wanted to do something that allowed me to be as hopeful to the city as the Cleveland Browns fan was. Yeah on Sunday. So whatever that feeling is, that's what I wanted to do for the city. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good comparison. <laughs> so now, what does your work entail as a clinical social worker at St. Vincent Charity Hospital? So at the time of this, at this interview, I was, prior to this interview, I was employed there. I'm no longer okay. employed at St. Vincent as a social worker. Okay. Um, but while I was in that capacity, um, it was how do I set young people or adults who were experiencing 
psychosis at the time mm-hmm. be able to reach a baseline where they were safe to return to the community. Yes. And some of those interventions included um, pain management, medication management, also like group therapy. Mm-hmm. So figuring out how to bring people who are all exhibiting um, mental health challenges, how to bring them together safely to build community as well, give them some coping skills and educational strategies that would keep them safe while in the in the facility and also in the community. Mm-hmm. So it was really an opportunity to let them know that although this is the situation, the circumstance doesn't determine who you are or right. who you will be when you leave here. Right. So let's just continue to figure out life together. I'm in a setting that allows you to have your dignity because sometimes it's hard for patients in a space like that, but how do you allow them to feel that they're the most safe and that they're getting the most um, coping skills or interventions that will allow them to return safely to the community? Yes. So now in 2020, you became the executive director of the Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance. How does CPA engage and support parents, guardians, and families that have been impacted by violence? and particularly gun violence. Awesome. Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance is like the gem of the city that most people are not aware of, but everybody should be aware of, right? Right. Like it's a community-centered approach that not only works with families and young people who are directly impacted by gun violence, but showing the interconnectedness of it all, right? Like I don't have to have been shot or my child does not have to have been the perpetrator to be impacted by the decision of what it caused. Like I could be a neighbor who now my impact is that I'm afraid to go to sleep because I heard the gunshots. Yes. So Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance works with the entire community because working with individuals, we are aware that it takes individuals to build community mm-hmm. and working with one person at a time is a little harder to see the outcome. So mm-hmm. we engage all partners and build this web of support. How do we contribute to the reduction of community violence? And some of those barriers may be community gun violence, it may be gang violence, it may be young people navigating different systems, but ultimately working together in a community to ensure that young people are both alive and free through community efforts, through community partnerships, through community voice, Mm -hmm. um, but being there to support the families when they feel like they're alone because of a decision that their young person might have made due to the community and material conditions that a lot of people um, in inner city live in. Yes. Now, I was doing some research this morning. My next question is, how has gun violence and violence in general impacted the lives of young people in Cleveland and the African-American youth in particular? Community and gun violence is such a huge topic. It's such a a vague topic that sometimes yeah. when you're really not in a community, you it's easy to pinpoint it to one group of people or one population mm-hmm. of people, but it's all really based on like the narrative in which media shares the story. Yes. Gun violence is not just specific to Cleveland. It's not just specific to African-Americans in Cleveland. It's actually a, a pandemic of many, many communities of, across our country that, that affects communities in cities just like Cleveland. So I want to be specific in saying like, this is a national crisis that many communities similar to our communities in Cleveland are dealing with gun violence or community violence. And it's, and it's not specific to us, but in Cleveland, our goal is like, how do we message that 
we need to be safe? How do we message that guns are necessary but not needed Mm -hmm. in a capacity of which allows young people to be not alive or or not free? And how do we restore a sense of safety where they feel like violence is not their only option? So really trying to use education as a tool that we know that young people that the, the access to guns in our communities are easy. But how do we combat that with education? Because there's a huge education gap that sometimes affects our communities of color and oftentimes affect our young black men and women and leave them in situations where they're not either alive or free. But our goal is through education to message that our city is not alone in this, but that but we're not exempt. And how do we take care of the people in which we serve um, and individuals that make up our community? And that being said, well, tell us about some of the programs that you have um, at the Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance engaging with youth in the community. So we have several programs. We have a program called the Violence Intervention Program, Mm -hmm. and it's a program that's connected with the Cuyahoga um, County Courts. And it's for young people ages 18 to 24 who may have a gun spec, Mm -hmm. and how do we, instead of offering incarceration and a felony, how do we give them a community platform where they are connected to mentors through Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance, they Mm -hmm. have their probation officer, they have Ohio Means Jobs, they go through counseling through Metro Health Hospital, Um, but this is a a compliance program that, that acknowledges grace over guilt and understanding that sometimes communities put people allows violence to be the only option for people and how do we intervene and say, well, here are some other options and how, how would you be a success from this program? Um, we also have a program called Safe Passages, mm-hmm. which we find the priority schools in Cleveland School District and my staff are able to deploy to those schools to ensure that young people are the most safe when they're leaving schools or when they're entering schools and making sure that they get to bus stops and making sure that they enter the school safely. I mean, we have six schools that we do that to. We also have in-reach opportunities where our same staff members go inside schools and and figure out the areas in which classroom or or school violence can be high and focus on mediation or rumor control or being really intentional with our program to talk about the education that can keep young people safe. Yes. Um, we have community art programs. Right mm-hmm. now we're focusing on our fueling nonviolence program mm-hmm. where we understand that we need to empower communities to live in peace before resting in peace. So a program that we did last like year that. was that yeah, we picked that. The, <laughs> the gas stations in communities yeah, yeah. that had the most community violence and we partnered with business owners to yeah. offer $10 worth of gas to the first 200 people. And what we found out is that sometimes we focus so much on those who are directly impacted that we forget about the the grandmothers or the or yes. the little children or the business owners who who live in these communities who don't have a choice to leave these communities that are also impacted by gun violence and how do we show up for them as well? Um, we have internal programs where young people come and do peacemaking curriculum. They'll do uh, make music through their fill-ins at our office, but just trying to figure out what young people want to engage in and allow them to create the programs that would give them alternatives to violence. That sounds wonderful. A lot of great programs. And I like what you said, you know, learn how to live in peace rather than rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Um, Your organization is the recipient of the $100,000 Every Town for Gun Safety Grant. How will this grant help your mission? Oh, my gosh. That was such a great, oh, like, of my leadership. That probably was, like, one of the most happy moments of my leadership. But Every Town is an amazing 
platform and organization that offer offers so many resources and technical assistance. I mean, technical assistance and then peer networking. But with this grant, we are able to build capacity. We are able to provide training opportunities to our staff. We are able to engage more young people. We have a program where we also offer like safe housing to families who were directly impacted by gun violence. So if their house, they don't feel safe in their house, we have money through every time where we can pay for up to four nights for a family oh, wow. to feel safe at a at a hotel. But like just making sure that we not only have our presence in our relationships, but we're able to give them something else to allow them to feel safe because once a young person or a family is impacted by gun violence, it doesn't just stop when a life is saved. How do we also show up and engage with those families and young people after the gunshot to show them that there is more to life? And part of that is like healing. And part of that is, is feeling safe where you lay your head. And um, with every town, I think the biggest thing is like the peer support and being connected to different people that do this work across our nation yes. and understand that this is a big problem. Gun violence and community, community violence is such a big problem yes, it is. that we have to work together to try to figure out what is our piece to the reduction of it. So yes. I'm excited about that opportunity. <laughs> I hear your excitement. I'm excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> so now can you share the importance of having outreach workers with grassroots real life experience. That is the most the, the most important piece of of this all yes. is that having staff members who have lived and shared experiences but also willing to have learned opportunities to do our best work is amazing. Yes. So oftentimes programs are created um, because there's a problem. Hmm. But sometimes what grassroots organization is that we understand a problem and we can be the solution, right? right? Like we're we're not just talking to young people because we read that this is the best way, but we're talking to young people because we too probably experience some of the same things that they're going through. And it's easier to connect with someone if you if you can tell that it's genuine. Right. And similar to grass, I think the cool thing about grassroots organization is that it has a special level of professionalism, right? Like it's not mm. like, um, not working like at a corporate organization where things have to be said this way or that way and right. politically correct. <laughs> it's like, how do you say right. what you need to say right. to, to get the outcome that you need? Right. And that's, that, that's the great part of this work is that I have outreach workers who say things that I am not able to say <laughs> that may prolong the life of a young person or yes. make their decision that could have altered their life a little easier because of what they've been through and the conversations that they have. So it's yeah. all about the relationships. It's all about them using their pain to now interrupt the decisions of young people and saying, listen, I've been there. Right. Listen, I've served this many years in prison. Listen, I understand what it's like to, to be kicked out of your home. And I know what it's like to, to be cool and, right. and think that you have to do this, but I'm here to tell you that, all of those options, because there are options and these are what we choose, they have consequences. Like, yeah. this is the consequence. And I know that you're just listening. Sometimes young people say, you're just, like, saying this because you're older. And it's just like, <laughs> whether I was young or old, the yes. consequences does not um, discriminate, right? Yes. Like, the consequences are what they are. And I'm just here to tell you that I've been there. And I think that's what young people appreciate the most about grassroots organizations. It's like, they can see their father or their sister or their mother in these conversations because yes. the way that we show up is differently. And, and that is like one of the most, 
privileged pieces that my team offers to the community is that they show up unapologetically themselves yes. to make sure the outcome is what is needed for young people to be alive and free. Yes. Now, um, have you seen a rise in youth, uh, in, well, a rise in violence and youth violence since the pandemic? Because the pandemic has exposed so much. Uh, just kind of share your, your observations and thoughts on that. I think what happened during the pandemic is that it acknowledged a problem that was already there. Yes. Um, gun violence and community violence in certain neighborhoods is not a new problem. It maybe was a, um, a, a problem that did not get a lot of attention, but similar to all the other variables that the pandemic allowed us to see that affects violence, not just COVID, but also unemployment or fear or hopelessness or lack of supportive people or um, access, not having access to programs and, and not having access to your therapist. All of these things play into the increase in, in community violence. However, it's easier to pinpoint gun violence, but we, we forget about the domestic disputes and we yes. forget about young people needing an outlet because maybe their home is the trigger. Um, we forget about the, the injustices that oftentimes happen in black and brown communities. So it's, it's important to say that there are so many variables that may cause the increase of gun violence. I think the pandemic was an easy crutch to be able to say because of this, this yeah. is the outcome. But I think we need to start digging deeper at all of the underlying issues that cause an increase in violence. And how do we start chopping away at, at the root instead of trying to look at the flowers that are not producing because of one thing? It's yeah. always more than one thing. And I think that's what I'm learning in this role is that Violence is interconnected, and we cannot try to put it in a, a siloed opportunity, a siloed box, and say this is the reason, um, because it's not. So many variables increase include um, many variables was able to play a part in the increase of gun violence in the city of Cleveland and other cities. So I think COVID gave us the opportunity to sit still and really reflect on a problem. That it's not just cost. That's costing many people their lives yes. um, in 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 the city of Cleveland and the surrounding neighborhoods as well. Yes. Now, what words of wisdom do you have for youth who may be involved in difficult situations that could alter the course of their lives? My conversations to young people is always like, "What are you doing it for? <laughs> yeah. Are you doing it for safety or are you doing it for status? If you're doing it for safety, you you should be able to weigh." what is the best possible way for me to be the most safe? And sometimes we have to go through the chopping process of like, uh, this, this may seem right, but it's not really right. Like I should do this, but I can consider other options. Or are you doing it for status? Because when people do things for status, the consequence doesn't even matter. Like the consequence is yes. not even a thought. So I always ask young people like, are you doing this for safety or are you doing this for status? And they'll look at me like, what are you talking about? And then I'll tell them like, are you doing this for followers? Are you doing this for comments? Are you doing this to go viral? Or are you doing mm. this because you really want to make it home at night? Are you doing this because people in your life are dependent on you? Are you doing this because you know that Cleveland will not be what it is without you here? So you got to make the best decisions. Like, what are you doing it for? Because when you do things for status, you're, you often are impacted by the status in which you will not have because of the, the decision. 
So, mm-hmm. like, I, I oftentimes just lead that way, and it allows for us to have more deeper conversation. But I always just ask young people, what are you doing it for? Yes. Like, are you doing it for something long-lasting, or are you doing it for a trend? And if you're doing it for a trend, then there's a chance that you may be the next hashtag. And is that yeah. what you want? So my approach is just very, very straightforward. And sometimes they look at me and they're like, well, we don't understand. Well, great. This is a great conversation starter. Let's get into it. But I, I think the biggest piece in which I shared earlier is like, how do we empower you to live in peace before resting in peace? Unfortunately, a lot of youth in Cleveland and on social media and, and other cities the the life loss is such a huge celebration and people get t-shirts and they and they get necklaces and they get Mm -hmm. balloons and they get teddy bears and like how do we how do we take all of that and change the narrative like oh you're here let me get you balloons because today is tuesday or let me get you a teddy bear because i think you will look nice hugging something like let me write a flyer or a brochure about all the amazing things that you are doing and what you will do it's just like how do we change the narrative if is visuals and honor and life after the life is lost is something that we enjoy how do we flip that and say like while you're here let's have a balloon ceremony for like all the great things that you're doing and let's get everybody together in a part of the neighborhood that you like and release balloons because you are alive and you are here yes. so like that's another thing is that i talk about visuals and like a lot of young people And a lot of people in general love gathering for visuals. How do we make that a celebratory moment for the life, honoring the life while it's here? And how do we use those same things that people gravitate towards to in in the loss of life to making an an acknowledgement for life still living? So those are my two things. It's like, how do I make visuals a a noun thing for life? still living, worth living? And then how do I allow young people to see if this is for status or if this is for safety? Wow. This isn't Sunday, but I got to say amen. <laughs> okay. That, that was, that was <laughs> well said. Okay. I'm a little choked up because you were, you were right on time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Woo. Okay. Amen. I'm trying to tell you for real. Now, what words of wisdom do you have for parents, guardians, and families looking for help and resources before something traumatic happens? I think for families and parents, it's like, especially for the black mother, it's like when, when we are tasked with, when we are oftentimes blamed as the problem and we need to figure Mm -hmm. out the solution, right? Like we're blamed that we're raising young black men and boys in the hood. And it's just like, what is the solution to that? Well, a solution can be making sure that we're paying people a decent wage to be able to to live a life and sustain housing and, and to not have that as a stressor. Like, how do we do that? So it's like encouraging and advocating for families to be able to have sustainable housing or like sustainable, like a working, allowing them to be a part of the, the working economy. Like, how do we do this? But so those are also the underlying things that I mentioned earlier. It's like all of these things. But my message to families, especially mothers, is that like we have we can never stop fighting. And I know the role of a woman is like we always have to fight. But the reality is we do. We have to continue to fight for our families because there are so many systems and people who are not doing that. And whenever we stop fighting then things are worse. So even when it's hard, how do we push through? How do we build community? How do we share space? How do we continue to reach out? How do we connect our 
our neighbor to a program that saved our son's life? Like, how do we just continue to be vulnerable? How do we continue to be transparent? How do we not hide? How do we understand that mental health is heavy? And especially if you are a survivor of a, of a loved one to gun violence, like, how do you use that pain and turn it into purpose? And sometimes it's hard because there's a lot of shame yes. on parents who live in communities similar to Cleveland, who may have lost a, a, a loved one or child to violence or lost a young person to a system. Maybe their son was the perpetrator or daughter was the perpetrator. And how do you allow them to not be in shame, but how do you allow them to empower and advocate and, and use their, their story so that the next young person make better decisions? But I think we just have to, my message should be, will be, how do we just instill hope back into very, very hard situations? Like, we understand it's going to be hard. How do we push through, not just for our family, but the young person that may make the same decision as our family and we can interrupt it there? Like, how do we, how do we do that We're, with removing our feelings and just showing up for the next? Yes. Like, I am doing this for the next mother who will cry. I am doing this for the next father who, who will, who will grieve. I'm doing this for the, the next community over that will be broken. Like, how do we see it as, as an intervention piece or a preventative piece that if, if I don't share, then others won't heal. Yes. So how do we do that? Like, how do we step, make our healing such a, such a, a big platform so that others will feel bold enough to step up and say, well, I am too struggling with my son being a victim of gun violence and now he's paralyzed. How do I help? Or I am, my son is incarcerated because he's shot. So how do I help? Yes. So just offering a space and creating a space for people to say, I am too struggling with this. Like yes. what is next? Instead of I'm struggling with this and I'm going to hide it because I'm, sh I'm, I'm shameful. Yes. So just, just building community in a way that's like productive and not pain pimping, like no pain yes. pimping community, but like building community that is productive to the healing process of, of families. That's what I would like to do for, for families in Cleveland. This is great. Well said. <laughs> it's another amen. I'm enjoying this conversation. Why is collaborating with other organizations important? Because not one organization or one person can tackle such a finite problem by themselves. Not, not one person. And in the moment that we believe that, we are the sole organization or people responsible for the reduction of violence will mm -hmm. be the day that we'll drive ourselves up a wall. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's understanding that every organization or person bring their own gifts to a bigger problem. So I oftentimes like to talk about a barbecue. If we all go to the barbecue and we're all bringing baked beans and macaroni, then it is no barbecue because nobody <laughs> just wants two two things. But if we all come to the barbecue and everybody's bringing their their own special meal, mm -hmm. now we got a party. Right. Now we have now we have options. Yeah. But if everybody is serving macaroni and baked beans, <laughs> where's the ribs? Where's the hot dogs? Where's the burgers? So oftentimes, looking yeah. at collaboration like that is that. Yeah. I'm trying to have a barbecue and yes. I don't want just the same old two things. I want more options and what more options is more connections and more and more young people and communities and families that are saved because of what we are bringing to the barbecue and not reinventing the wheel of what, you know, yes. what we don't have, right. you know, trying to make macaroni into 
hot wings. Like you just can't do <laughs> that. Do <laughs> I don't care what what vegans are saying. It's yeah. just it's not it. <laughs> oh my I think you have made missed your call in for the pulpit and for stand up comedy. Okay, I love the way you deliver your message for real. Now, the work you do is emotional and heavy. How important is self-care for you and your team to be able to help others? Oh, my gosh. You know, when you think about something like this, this is it's emotionally and mentally exhausting because what we cannot control is who has access to a gun. What we cannot control is who chooses to pull the trigger. What we cannot control is once those shots are fired, if that young person in that moment is going to live or die. So there are some things that are outside of our control, but what we do have in our control is like, how do we show up for the community after tragedy? And how do we show up for our team after dealing with, dealing with the tragedies? The hard part is that our work is rooted in trauma. And a lot of people that are the helpers, are not addressing their trauma, but we are suppressing it and we're using it as trauma bonds to do work that make us feel good because we understand. Yes. So it's like, we need to take care of ourselves. So we're really at Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance having a background in social work. I'm very, very intentional about if you have the days, please take it off. Like you missing one day of work or two days of work will not stop the show. Although you're, you're needed and you're necessary, but you're also needed and necessary to the person that caused you mommy. Right. or daddy or yes. sister or brother and you have to show up for those people too so always exercising a well-being policy how do you feel what do you need how can i take something off of your plate um our our team is so small so we spend most of our waking hours together so we know every, everything about everybody if i come in with an attitude the <laughs> team probably can sense like oh Maisha must have, you know, like we just have that yes. type of relationship. And it's just really, really important to to celebrate one another, whether someone has been married or bought a house yeah. or or somebody has invested in their healing and, and is going to counseling. We try to celebrate all of the moments because this work is heavy and it, it yes. is hard, but someone has to do it. But at Cleveland Peacemakers, that someone who has to do it it's not going to be a result of their families that depend on them to also do it for them. Yes. So we always center our family, um, our, our, ourself as a person. And then if we are whole in that area, then we can dedicate at least 85 or 90 percent to the community because we are whole and centered in our personal space. So, so always create a space for, for my team to be able to say, I just don't have it today. Yeah. I don't have much to give today. And what does that look like? And, it's, and sometimes it's the question, like, what do you have to give? Well, this is what I can do. Perfect. That can also play on a reduction of violence because violence is also, it's not just when shots are fired. It's everything that happens before that, too. Mm-hmm. What can you give before that? So our team is very much so centered on, on well-being and, like, what does life look like outside of being violence interrupters? What does it look like? to be a person who understands the trauma and also has to heal from within to be able to give back to the community. Yes. Now, speaking of the community, how can the community help the Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance? How can people help just ordinary folks out here in our neighborhoods? You know, we are just ordinary folks that have the opportunity to be paid to do the work. So our goal is like, how do we, increase capacity through volunteers 
Um, how do we have people donate their time, their talents, or their treasures? You know, in order to do this work and amplify our message, I wish I can say that it just runs off of our our best thoughts. Unfortunately, organizations with the, the biggest problem have the smallest budget. So a way to help is, like, how do you donate? It may be for a family to have four or five days in safe housing. That can cost, like, $400 to allow them to feel safe after something tragic has happened? Or how do you donate two hours of your time to do safe passages at our priority schools that, that may have more violence and we want to interrupt that? Or how do you how do you donate your gift? If you have a gift of, of programs and you want to share that with us, how do you do that? So there's, there's several ways that we would love to have the community support us whether it's your time, your talents, or your treasure. So we have a website, uh, www.clevelandpeacemakers.com. Um, we're on social media, which is one of our biggest ways to share space with the community um, at, at F-O-R-C-L-E-P-E-A-C-E at clevepeace.com at Cleave Peace. So that's our Instagram. Um, but yeah, those are ways. And we're also, we have a community office in a Slavic, in Slavic village. So just being able to stop by um, to engage with our staff and our administration team will also be a way um, that the community can support where they can bring their, their solutions or their possibilities of what a safer community may look like from a community, a community standpoint. We welcome that as well. That's wonderful. Now, in 2021, you and I participated in a digital storytelling five-week boot camp, hurry up and learn it fast <laughs> project. <laughs> it really was, it was crazy, but I loved it. Sponsored by the Sisters of Charity Foundation, the short film you created was very impactful. Could you tell us about your film? Are there plans for more films? And what did you learn from this experience in being able to tell this story? Oh my gosh, that was such <laughs> a overwhelming in a good way. Yeah, it was. Experience. It was. It was. We we learned so much about ourselves, <laughs> yes. about our community partners, yeah. and about where our passion lies. Because there are so many avenues that tug at our heart, but we were able to drill down on like where that is stemming from. Yes. So with me working in gun violence, I have two amazingly smart, beautiful black daughters and they're eight and five and <laughs> they worship. If I wanted to go outside and count, count leaves, mm -hmm. they would say, my mother is the best leaf counter. I want to be a leaf <laughs> counter when I get older. Do you see all those leaves on the ground? Pick them up because my mother's going to do something with those leaves. Like my daughter, whatever I do, my children will be proud. And, I, and yeah. I'm noticing that. So as I, you talk that. about gun violence and safety, my children are soaking it up. So one day I had a phone call and my five-year-old was just like, I don't want to get shot. Like people kill little people and I'm a little person and I don't want them mm -hmm. to shoot me. And, and it was in that moment. I was just like, what? My yeah. work has my daughter afraid. Like, this is not okay. Like I want to make an impact, but not at the expense of my daughter's mental like, she's afraid, and she's yeah. never been impacted by gun violence. Like, our community, I have a privilege of living in a community that we don't oftentimes hear gunshots. Like, what is going on? But it was because 
of what she heard me say as it relates to another child that she is now afraid. Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, my language. Like, and I, and I really had to sit in that moment and say like, why did it hurt me so bad as a mother to hear my daughter say that? And it was a memory that I suppressed so deep that when I was younger, I experienced gun violence, but I suppressed it that I couldn't even make the connection of how I'm able to lead as a humble servant or a leader in this space is because I know it all too well. But it was yeah. only until my daughter said that, that I was like, why does this hurt so much? And it was because my inner child hasn't healed from that fear of being directly impacted by gun violence. And, and I was in that space. I had a better connection with the community because it's like, yo, Oh, I do get it. Yeah. I understand that fear, but it was so deep that I thought that I was just living off learned experience. I thought I didn't have the lived and shared experiences, but I did. But our mind is such a, yes. uh, a big muscle you. that yeah. sometimes we can forget some yeah. of the hardest parts of our life. Yeah, things get tucked away. Because we don't want to remember. Yes. But it, it was it was it was through my daughter when they when you talk about healing, it's like I was able to heal my inner child because of the work I do and that the work and the conversations that my daughter overheard that allow her to be fearful. And I was like, wow, speaking of a full circle moment, yes. <laughs> you never know how you're going to be healed. You never know when the journey is going to start. But it started with my daughter sharing her fear and. And it allowed me to be able to better serve the community from that space that I tried to bury so deep. Mm -hmm. Now that same space allowed me to show up differently because I understand the fear. I understand what it's like to not feel safe. Um, and, I, and I'm so grateful that my, that my five-year-old daughter was able to allow me to become a better leader through allowing me to remember a painful moment in my life. Yeah, it was a really impactful piece. Do you think that you'll be doing any more short uh, digital video pieces? You know what I took from this moment? That yeah. I will be really interested in doing a TED Talk before I turn 40. <laughs> so I think that is my next route. It's okay. like, how do I paint the picture with my words yes. that can create the impact? And I think that this experience allowed me to, to, to connect to that. It's like TED Talks will be my next thing okay. because of this experience. All right. We'll be looking for that TED Talk. Now, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to repeat again because my final question is, how can people contact you for your organizational services? You talked about volunteering and donating and also contacting you for speaking engagements. So if we can just give your contact information one more time. So you can um, follow us on Instagram at for Cleave Peace, and that's F-O-R-C-L-E-V-E-P-E-A-C-E, -E -E, and that's on Instagram. You can find more information about our organization online at www.clevelandpeacemakers.com. Um, you can also stop by our office, which is located in Slavic Village, at 5564 Broadway Avenue. You have big parking in the back um, where you can come in and find out more information and meet members of our team. But also, if you would like to invite me out to talk about Cleveland Peacemakers Alliance and, and share how we can all give our time, our talents, and our treasures, then you can contact me via email at mcrowe at C L E V E P 
P-E-A-C-E dot O-R-G. So it's M Crow at Cleave Peace dot O-R-G. Awesome. And one final question. Where can people see your short video piece? I can email you the video. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when you last saw it, I don't know if I had all of the visuals in place, but now it's really, really done well. And I can email it to you. And wherever you share this, you can, you, you can attach it. Okay. Um, And I think that would be great. Okay. We'll make sure that our, our social media uh, person handles that. Well, I would like to thank my guest, Ms. Maisha Crow, for stopping by today. I have really enjoyed this conversation. You are the right person for the right job. I mean, I really feel your passion for what it is that you're doing in the community. It's, it's been an enjoyable conversation. I've been honored, and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank your team. Thank the production. Um, I'm really, really excited for opportunities like this. And and what I hope comes from this is more people willing to be a part of a big problem and we can dream out loud the possibilities of what safety looks like. I I love that. I love the way you phrase things so poetically and and what you have to say about, you know, the the very uh, serious work that you do. I would like to leave our audience with a quote from my guest today. Any high-risk young person who has many stressors, we want to be that organization that helps them and brings them to other organizations that get them on the right track. I would like to thank our audience for coming by today. We appreciate your support. Please join us again as we continue our conversation with Clevelanders who are making positive contributions to their neighborhoods. Visit Neighborhood Connections' website to see all of our community engagement activities and opportunities. If you have a great idea and you want to do something positive for your community, contact Neighborhood Connections at 216-361-0042 or send us an email at www.neighborhoodgrants.org and like us on Facebook. Stay informed, stay involved, stay connected. I'm Carol Malone, your host. Thank you for joining me today on Neighbor Up Spotlight. Neighbor Up Spotlight is sponsored by Neighborhood Connections and the City of Cleveland Cable Television Equity in the Arts Fund in association with Bad Record Recording Studios. Executive producer, creator, writer, host, Carol Malone. Co-producer, Lila Mills. Engineer, James Cananan. Photography, social media, Vince Robinson. Graphic artist, Kadrian Hinton. We're just a homemade, handmade podcast from scratch. Please share our positive stories with your neighbors, friends, family, and on your social media. Thank you for listening, and neighbor up. <laughs>